the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 83. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning. We are recording this the day after Halloween. Yes. So for our listeners, this is going to be in November, but how are you doing the day after Halloween, Sandra? I am not hungover. Right. Um, but I did get a little stomach bug about mm. three o'clock in the morning. I know. And, um, but you know, there's a little tiny bit of joy you get when you get a stomach bug and you know that it's not from <laughs> it's not a hangover no. or it's not alcohol related so okay. totally. I can yeah I can I can um you know I know this will pass I'm not having any sort of lament shame or existential crisis over a stomach <laughs> bug <laughs> well, good. Well, yeah, I, I, I did. I woke up without a hangover as well. Um, and not even a, I didn't have a candy or a sugar hangover because I had no kid last night. He stayed the night at a friend's house and um, they passed out candy to kids and we're going to maybe make a film or something because they're making short films lately. So it was weird. He didn't dress up and it was my first Halloween of no dress up, no kid. I had five sweet little trick-or-treaters like I always get on my lane. You know, two families come up. And and uh, last year, Sandra, I gave them, like, healthy stuff. Um, oh, no. Yeah. No. You know. You're not the fun house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I came home from my sober sisters meeting, and I see what I – I package them up usually, like, in cellophane, and I have little bags of stuff. Well, last year, I decided to get, like – pirate booty and maybe like a toothbrush who knows I was probably that that was that wasn't pennies I'll tell you that I didn't put any pennies in there <laughs> but I came home and the bags were still sitting there and I said did, did so-and-so come and and Steve goes yeah they did um they didn't want those <laughs> they didn't really yeah that's not that's your Halloween that's not their Halloween <laughs> so this year yesterday I went to the store I was like I am making up for last year I bought them movie size boxes of candy there you go the big junior mints raisinets i got i got big boxes i got cookies from whole foods that look like um like a cyclops one eye Mm. and then Mm -hmm. i got some other candy i put in i did it up i was like i am not i'm making up for last year i don't want to get my house egged There you go. They'll be back next year for sure. So that was it. I had my five sweet little trick-or-treaters and it was very nice. And that's all I usually get. But um, I want to talk about what you did for Halloween. Oh, yeah. Tell us all about it. Okay. First of all, let me just tell you that historically this week is nuts. And I think I mentioned it last year, probably on the podcast too. But in one week, it's time. Some of this was just by design or 
an un, unplanned design. Some of this is just um, the universe. But uh, in one week, uh, we have mine and my husband's anniversary, Halloween, and and Chloe's birthday. My daughter's birthday is all in a, within a seven day period. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. It is. It's a lot. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, but we love Halloween around here. So, you know, we 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 spend some time on it. And my kids were great, had great costumes. My son was um, Jack from The Shining and it. like <laughs> full character, like full character. It was amazing. And Chloe, and my daughter was Miss Scarlet from from Clue, from the Clue game. Oh. I know. She I know. She looks so sweet. I saw a picture of her outfit and I just loved it. I just loved it. I just loved it. <laughs> I know. And um and then I've been like working on this dress that it was a dress that I had made from my wedding dress, actually. Um, And I used it several years ago for a photo shoot. And I thought, oh, I'm going to dye it because it was white. And I dyed it and I added, I just really vamped it out. And um, I think I told you that I was, I kind of had in mind like a, French circus performer. I yeah. don't know. Is that a thing? Do they exist? French circus like Cirque performer? du Soleil kind of like just kind of. But yeah. really, when I started thinking of like when I started thinking about it, I I when I was a teenager, and we've had this conversation probably many times. When I was a teenager, I was obsessed with Pat Benatar's "Love Is a Battlefield" video. Mm-hmm. I was completely obsessed with it. Um, specifically the dance scene, yep. uh, when she's at the brothel and she, you know, rebels and then all the, all the brothel girls are behind her and they're doing their dance and then they walk out. I was obsessed with their costumes. Like I still go mm-hmm. back and look at that video all the time. I can see time. it. I can see it in I'm my like, mind right now as you're saying it. Totally obsessed. I, I mean, I'm telling you, everyone that's listening to this, stop what you're doing, <laughs> go back <laughs> and watch that video because their costumes are amazing. And it's so interesting how, I mean, that came, that song came out in like what, 83 or 84, something like that. 83. I, I just looked it up and I'm looking at their dresses. Yes. 1983. Yes. You got it. That. Those costumes influence like my whole aesthetic. Like that's pretty much those are the things that I make and covet to this day. And right. so I, I was like, I was making uh, a the a brothel girl, you know, backup dancer to Pat Benatar's uh, dress <laughs> and headpiece is exactly <laughs> what I was making. And so I can finally like drop in to realize that, that dream yeah <laughs> just dropped into that video yesterday I it love was, it so it you it's like really you were already fun. making it without knowing exactly what you were making it for and then you connected totally. the dots <sighs> love it yes totally I didn't really know what it was going to be I was just like I'm going to add this to it and I'm going to put this crazy 
sequined butterfly that I found at a yard sale that, and the woman told me she got it from a drag queen in San Francisco in the eighties. I'm like, this is going on the dress. It's all coming together. It's all these little bits and bobs. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you looked so beautiful, so fantastic. And so (laughs) you're right on the money. You're just, all you need is the video crew. I know. I know. You know, maybe that's what I'll do in 2019 is I'll, I'll get a group. We're going to add, well, that we'll just have to recreate that video. Okay. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. You come out here, my friend, um, or Grady's friend, um, in high school, Chris makes short films and he can do the video for us. Okay. Okay. I've costumes. We're doing this. Yeah, we're gonna do this. You know, my fifth grade talent show was the one where I didn't get to be Pat Benatar because my band got suspended. So I can realize my dream of lip syncing to Pat Benatar. You can do the dancer outfits for us. <laughs> I think we're, this is gonna be our road show. I think. I think it's happening. I think so. I think, I think so. I think your cupcake dra- dress at She Recovers kicked it off. There's going to be more costuming in the future for the show. I just, there I really is. There really is. You can, can't not have fun yeah. with, yeah, with yeah. A, a brothel dress from the 80s. From the every 80s. little girl, need, when you're thir- I was 13, you Benny were 13. Video. Yeah. 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 I was yeah. Very, in our young teenage years, and that's all we wanted to be was a brothel dancer. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no. Anything wrong with that. <laughs> She won Grammy for uh, the Grammy that year for best female rock vocal performance. Pat Benatar. Real? Yeah. I love her. She deserved it. She yep. deserved it. I wonder if I could, I have a thought about it too. Like that would be a Google rabbit hole that I would fall down is finding out who designed the costumes for that video. I'm sure there's probably not even a trail for that, but anyway, still obsessed, still obsessed yeah. with those costumes. They look good. I can't wait to watch this when we're done. Okay. I'm going to yeah. watch that on repeat yeah. today. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that you do it up. I am not a Halloween dress up gal, but I love that you are. I love that you are. And oh, I have it's... to tell you, your style influenced me this week because, you know, I do love a hot pink as well. And um, I went thrifting and I tried on a vintage uh, caftan. Oh my God, Sandra. It that dress is amazing. Perfect. The fabric felt really, really, I felt so sexy in it. I felt. Uh, Not like a caftan, like the one that I wore at She Recovers was too big and flowy and I wore it by the pool and it made no, me feel like yours Mrs. Is Roper. Fitted. This is a yeah, fitted caftan and it's hot pink mm-hmm. and all the colors that you love and that I love. And I was like, I'm going to wear this to this cocktail party coming up. I'm going to walk in and look like a million bucks. Like you said, you inspired me last week with our chat. And I was like, I'm going to walk in, feel good, look good. And um, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I so, cannot wait yeah. to see pictures. Oh, yeah, that dress is amazing. I, know, I loved it. I loved it. Um, but start living a little bit more out loud. Like I noticed that when I go to cocktail parties or parties in general, I wear all black. And even at She Recovers, I wore this dress that I borrowed from my friend because it was for this gala, right? And But that wasn't my style. I didn't feel like me. I went and changed. I yeah. changed into some pleather pants and your kimono. I'm like, why didn't I wear that? And after yeah. watching you just own it and all the other ladies like Anna... Anna Bilby, I mean, uh-huh. she just looks so cute with her little gold um, slip-on Vans. Kind of, I like, know. I have those. I love those. I wear them all the time. I'm like, why, why didn't I wear something comfortable or what was more me? And so that was a lesson from She Recovers. And so when I ran across that dress in the thrift store for ten bucks, I'm like, yep, that's coming home with me. <laughs> yep, that's doing it. Yep. 
<laughs> so thank you, Sandra, for helping me um, with my style because I it's always morphing and changing. And I sometimes didn't want to be seen, you know? I just wanted to melt I... in and just not make take up too much space, but not anymore. Right? Yeah. If not now, when? When are you going to do it? <laughs> so I can't wait to be a brothel dancer. That's going to, that's going on my name it list. <laughs> name it journal. <laughs> Brothel dancer, dream realized. Uh, well, we we met our guest that's going to be on the show today. You want to segue into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did meet our guest um, that's going to be on the show today. Speaking of She Recovers, we met her out in L.A. Um, yeah. I don't know about you, but Erin uh, Shaw Street um, introduced us to or introduced me to Brooke, um, yeah. our guest. And um, and me as well. I got to meet her briefly, just briefly. Yeah, yeah. And I was instantly curious. I think I had seen her Instagram account, but I was instantly drawn to her, instantly curious. Um, She just has a beautiful, natural, sort of easygoing vibe. And um, she, and I'll tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Brooke Morton. And she is a travel writer, adventurer, avid kayaker, paddleboarder, and a scuba diving instructor, and a lover of all things outdoors. Having spent 12 years saying yes to travel assignments that took her throughout all seven continents, yes, even Antarctica, she believed it was time to create a an adventure travel company for the sober community. Thus, Sober Outside was founded in March 2018 to invite non-drinkers to explore the outdoors with a group of like-minded souls coming together to find inspiration, serenity, and above all, connection. I love it. I love her mission and how she's taken her life's work and created, you know, what she was looking for. Exactly. Really great. And so um, if you want to learn more about Brooke, um, she's on Instagram as sober underscore outside. She has a really beautiful website. It's soberoutside.com. And we talk about it um, towards the end of the show, but um, she has a trip coming up to Bonaire and it's called Soul and Scuba. And it's uh, February 16th through the 23rd of 2019. So you can um, learn about all of that on her website and on her social media um, on Instagram. She's posting about it there. Um, so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, she has some great stories, great analogies of um, traveling and drinking. And just uh, she shed like a new perspective on things. And I really appreciated it. Yeah, it's a great it's a great episode. You guys enjoy, Brooke. Welcome to the show, Brooke. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Good morning. We are excited to have you. Where in the world do you live now, Brooke? Where are you talking to us from? I live in Orlando, Florida. Oh. I've never been to, I've never been to Florida. There's I think a, you're missing out. I think I'm missing out? There's a lot of sober, yeah. sober um, women in Florida that we've chatted with and that we know from our online communities. Yeah, absolutely. Recovery is really big here, for sure. Very cool. Wow. I, that, I love that you said that um, because I wouldn't I, – I, yeah, I guess I could see that because you also associate partying, beach, and <laughs> yeah. beach parties with Florida too, right? 
Yeah, I guess um, places like Daytona Beach that were really popular in the 80s or 90s or I don't know, I guess Fort Lauderdale area are, you know, those areas are pretty synonymous with, with drinking and partying. But I think that might also be why, you know, I know there's a lot of recovery centers in places like Fort Lauderdale and uh, along that coast. And I think I think once you tap into it, the recovery network here is just really huge and in such a great positive way. Oh, I love good. that. Yeah, that's good. You're in a populated area. I don't, I'm not in a super populated town where I live, Brooke, but um, yeah. Sonoma County, which is all wineries and wine country, <laughs> yeah. right? That's just, that's where I live is in Sonoma <laughs> County. But we have like a thousand meetings, like it's oh, wow. um, 12 step meetings in, in my area. Like that's huge. I went to, I went to Phoenix area to visit my mom and I had the hardest time finding a meeting. And it was like, I would have thought in such a big city, like, you know, she's in the suburb of Phoenix, but you know, when you. I'm really, I just feel really fortunate, like to live in an area where there's so many, um, you know, ways to recover, you know, there's smart meetings and refuge and all of these things. So yeah, that's awesome. That sounds like a really positive, um, environment down there. Yeah, it definitely helps, um, to have a lot of people to, to go through the experience with. Absolutely. Yeah. Community. Mm. That's true. Yeah. Well, Brooke, we like to start off the show by asking our guests to give us sort of like the cliff notes version of how you came to sobriety what it was like for you yeah yeah um so I started drinking when I was 16 and um, I think it got pretty rowdy after college I um I taught scuba diving on an island in the Caribbean right after college and I really just you know that's I think when I started to become um you know a, a, a nightly drinker that was the first time that I was living alone and no one was really keeping an eye on me. And, um, you know, I partied a lot in my twenties, but, you know, but I guess I didn't realize that it was too much or a problem because it seemed like everybody was doing that. And right. Because if you're yeah. on a beach in the Caribbean, yeah, yeah. I've been on a beach in the Caribbean and <laughs> that's what yeah. everybody does, right? Pretty much. I mean, the joke is there that, um, you know, that rum is cheaper than water. So it's, yeah. it's, it's cost effective to drink all the time. And, and, you know, it's, being a scuba instructor, that's a job that you can definitely do hungover. Um, and I was hungover most mornings for that. And, you know, after the island, I went, I lived in New York City for a few years. And then I moved down to Orlando to work for a magazine. And, um, writers in general, like magazine culture, it's pretty boozy. And the magazines that I worked for focused on water sports and, you know, people would Friday afternoons when I first started working there, like people, people had mini fridges full of beer and everybody drank and it just felt like, yeah, a big party. Everybody drinks. That's what we do. Mm. And, um, I think I really didn't notice that, that my drinking had kind of gone off the rails until I got laid off think in 2009. And so I started working from home then, you know, not really by choice, but it just, I couldn't, I couldn't get another job just because the economy wasn't great. And, and the freelancing thing took off. I got hired for a lot of freelancing assignments. And so it just happened to be that working from home worked out and it was what I did. And, um, you know, I found that happy hour started, started happening earlier. Whenever you wanted to, for it to start, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I, I justified it. Cause I was like, Oh my God. Like when I write while I drink Chardonnay, it's just so funny. It's so breezy. And so 
toward the end there, I realized I would like drink my morning coffee and then rinse out my mug and pour Chardonnay in. And I think that was happening around like 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. And, you know, I think those pieces were really funny. I'll give them that. But the window of productivity was only a few hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. How old were you at this point, Brooke? When I was drinking like that, let's say maybe, let's see. Oh, I'm bad with numbers. I think it was pretty bad. I think the height of all that was when I was 30, 30, 31. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of frame it, just to see, because I, I mean, yeah, 20s, everyone's doing it, right? Yeah. Everyone's doing it. People that get sober in their 20s, I'm like, oh my God, I don't even, how do you even recognize that you have a problem? Like that takes a level of self-awareness that I really admire. And I just did not have it back then. Yeah. But it's so crazy how quickly it escalates, right? Where you're pouring um, Chardonnay into your coffee cup. Yeah. Yeah. And because, you know, nobody saw me doing it. No one really was saying like, Hey, I think you had a problem. Like I, you know, I have friends who had it, like their friends and family had interventions for them. And I mean, there's a piece in me that thinks like, gosh, that's really nice that people took an interest in you and saw you had a problem and, and reached out and gave you that help. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have responded well to it. If people had done that for me, I might've been like, leave me alone. You don't know. But, yeah. but I don't like my friends from that time. I don't, that who I'm still friends with now, I don't know that they really know, knew that I had a problem. And we talk about it now. They're like, Oh, I didn't know. Right. Yeah. We're really good at keeping secrets. Right. And kind of, and managing if you're, if you're a type a very productive person, you are, you're still doing it. You're still, I mean, it might be hard to manage and you might be hanging on by a thread, but you're going to present as if you got it all figured out, you know, that there's no problem. I guess so. Yeah. I think, I think toward the end, I stopped going out because um, I used to, you know, work all day and go out all night. Like my friends, we, we would go out drinking every night. Um, maybe I didn't go out every night, but I drank every night. So when we'd go out, it'd be from happy hour at five, six o'clock to usually midnight or 2 a.m. And then toward the end, that last year, year and a half, two of my drinking, I I was just already done. Like six o'clock, I would just, I, could, I knew I couldn't drive. I just couldn't do anything. So I'd stay home and I started to realize like, this isn't great. Like, this is not the life I want to be. Like I started, I realized I was missing out. Right. And the irony is you were a travel writer whose world just became very small, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The, um, and the moment that I, that I, the moment that kind of changed everything for me was actually on a work trip. Um, I was on an island and, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't drink during the day on work trips because, you know, I was normally scuba diving and I've always been really, I always took that really seriously. Like don't, don't drink before a scuba dive. Um, so I would do, you know, I'd do all the stuff I needed to do for work and then I would start drinking in the evening and I was at a hotel and it was maybe like six, six thirty in the evening. I don't know, whatever time. And, I was drunk and I, you know, I had this rental car and I realized like, oh, I should probably be out seeing this island and making the most of this opportunity that so few Americans really get to leave the country and see these places. And here I am throwing it away because I'm already too drunk to drive this car. Mm. And, um, and I'd been, when I, so I guess maybe I, I, I knew for a while that I had a problem. I read every memoir there was about 
you know, about problematic drinking just to see if I could identify. And I was reading this book about um, quitting habits by Dr. Wolverton, who he was the um, he was the director of a of an institute of psychologists that when I lived in New York City, I saw someone at his center. So I already knew his name. I knew who he was. And that night that I was on that on assignment on that island, I emailed him and told him, like, I have a problem with drinking and I need help. And I'm never going to like, this is the only move I'm going to do. So now it's on you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sit back and wait. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know what to Somebody's do. Else, else's problem. <laughs> yeah. And he, he was cool about it. He wow. emailed me back the next day or two and we set up a call and that was the first time that I, sought help to stop drinking. Mm. Wow. I love those kind of, I mean, we talk to a lot of women, right? And, and, and men too, but just this, I always think of it um, like a Hail Mary pass, right? It's <laughs> like, it's like when you're finally at the end, I think is the Hail Mary pass. Like for me, it was like verbal vomiting to my um, therapist <laughs> and confessing, you know, I've been going to her for seven years, never told her I had a drinking problem, although she probably figured I it out. I think they always know. Yeah. They always know. But, you know, it was like my Hail Mary pass. Like, I'm going to just, I'm going to do this thing and I'm hoping someone's going to pick up or catch it, right? Someone's going to um, receive it and help me. Right. You like know. you throw up a flare or yeah. something, you know, send out an SOS. Anyone totally. see this, see me here. Yeah. It's a really brave yeah. act and a brave thing to do. Although, you know, a lot of the things I did was while drinking and emailing. And so that felt, you know, like, I don't know if you were drinking <laughs> when you emailed him, but you know, that was kind oh, of what yeah. I oh, used yeah. to do. <laughs> right. That was the irony. I was reading his book while drinking wine in the tub, like reading this book, here's mm. how to quit your habits. And I'm like, oh yeah, I got to do this. This is gonna. Right. But I also knew that I could like I'd read all this stuff and you know 21 days stop a habit like and nothing was really working and I I knew that every night I would find myself on autopilot driving to go buy wine and I I just knew I knew I couldn't do it by myself and that by the time I emailed Dr. Wolverton I don't know that I would have used the word desperate at the time but looking back I knew I knew I was desperate I knew I knew that the way I was living, like things were only going to get worse. And I, I knew enough to know I didn't want that. Well, that's the self-awareness. I think you taught, you mentioned earlier, like that in the twenties, you know, these 20 year olds that are getting um, sober and having that self-awareness, but, but you had it, you know, it just, maybe it took you a little while to get it, but we have a self-awareness when we start, when we want to quit. That you kind of can't, you can't deny, like, because you're, you're ingesting memoirs, right? <laughs> You're ingesting these how-to <laughs> books. Like I call it our step, my step zero. Like for me, like that was my step zero was like all of the investigation yeah. that I didn't fully know I was doing. But at a point it's like when I, when I knew it was, uh, I was at my worst. Yeah. You kind of turn, you can turn around and go, okay, does anybody else read all these memoirs? <laughs> like, are my yeah. other friends doing this yeah, when you start questioning your own behavior, when you can look at yourself and your and what and your behaviors objectively for the first time, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard to go back from that moment. I mean, I you know, I can stay in denial about anything really, but I certainly did about drinking for a long time. But once you start looking at it, it's hard to go back. 
Yeah. I agree with that so much. And, um, yeah, just reading those memoirs of seeing, yeah, I drank like the people in those stories and then also that they changed their lives. Yeah. It gave me hope because I knew, I knew people were doing it. And even when I lived on that Island, um, when I was a scuba instructor, one of the clients who went out with us every week, you know, he was a local on the Island. He didn't, he didn't drink. He'd quit like, I don't know, 10 or 20 years ago. And he always drank diet Coke and he was a happy guy. And I, and I, you know, so I, maybe there were always these pieces too, that I knew people are able to do this, you know, like it, this, I wasn't doomed to staying stuck in that way of living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, how long ago was this Brooke? Yeah. That I, that I emailed yeah. Dr. Wolverton. Well, it yeah, been, yeah. Let's see. So I got sober January, 2013. Okay. So it would have been maybe December, maybe, I think maybe the first week of January or end of December, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's 2013. So a while, five and a half years ago. Hmm. And so from there, did you just start working with him and, and, you know, I did, um, we had weekly calls and he, he did suggest that I, that groups were a great way to get sober. And, um, he did suggest meetings and I, I went to a meeting and the first one that I went to, I hated it. And I thought, um, I was like, I don't relate to any of these people. This is absolutely nuts. And I was ready to walk out the door and, a woman hugged me and she asked me, she's like, why, why are you here? And I told her and I just started crying. And, and the fact that she just embraced me and was listening, like that was all it took that I'm like, Oh, I like this. Like I, I felt safe and I felt hopeful. And so, you know, she just, she just kept, she said, don't drink and come back tomorrow. And that was simple enough that I am like, Oh, okay. Like I can do that you know, white knuckling it. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And, um, I just kept doing that. You know, I, I went to, you know, I did it the group way with meetings, um, every day for six months and yeah, I'm still, that's still a part of what I do to stay sober. I'm so happy she hugged you. (laughs) Right. It's like connection. It was like, because I don't know for, for you, Brooke, like, but there's, you're so alone in this, right. At the end when you're excavating your soul you're th- you're yeah. reading these memoirs you're you're you know having punishing hangovers in the morning and having someone hug you or say just don't drink and come back tomorrow like see see you tomorrow like it seems like such a simple thing but it's very hopeful um you know it's yeah. it's simple but it's profound because she saw me and she knew who I was like she mm-hmm. like I didn't really have to tell her I knew that she got me and um mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think I'd been, I think that's all we ever want in life is to be seen. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize that while I was drinking, like I wasn't being seen, I was presenting a version of myself and, you know, yay, everything's great. Even though I'm drinking because I can't handle things that I never talk about. Um, you know, and so that woman whose name is Sue, um, every time I see her, I'm always like, like, thank you. Thank you for, for being the, the difference. Like the reason that I, that I stayed mm-hmm. one of the reasons I stayed. And it, and it only takes one person to, it only yeah. takes one person to reach their hand out to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's life changing. <laughs> yeah. That's why I do it every chance I can, because I think, oh, I could, you know, not that I'm, you know, 
putting myself on a pedestal or anything, but I think, well, you know, this could be that one, this could be that moment. This could be the connection that, that, that this person needs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we often, we don't know the value of those connections. We may never know, or we might not know for a year or five years, you know, sometimes it's just planting a seed that someone equates like, okay, this, this, this group, these people are friendly and here, like this woman hugged me or smiled at me or held my hand through, through this hour. Like those things go a long way. Exactly. Yeah. At the end of, um, at the end of every meeting that I go to, um, we hold hands right in a circle. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a guest on the podcast, Michelle Petit, and, um, I get to hold hands with her often. Um, but she talked about that being one of the favorite parts. And so since she said that it registers with me, like that we all get to connect and that there's human touch and that you can see everybody's faces, you know, and then you hear, um, you know, you hear their voices throughout the meeting, but at the end, it's a way that we're all together, you know, and we say a prayer at the end of our meeting. So it's like a really beautiful, um, I used to overthink it, of course, in the beginning and reject it all and resist it all and all the things that you do. But now it's like, ever since she said that, I, I look at that opportunity to connect, you know, once a day when I go, you know, or, you know, I don't go every day, but when I do, like, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, um, example of like what I want in my life. I want to connect. I want to be seen and heard. Like you said, it's just a beautiful way to start your day for me. I, that, I love that moment at, at my, my Saturday meeting. Um, cause I hold those women's hands in because I see it as a, I hold pretty tightly cause I think, um, you know, this is me getting strength. I'm going to hold on to the strength of everyone in this room for the coming week. And I also, think about, okay, and I'm sharing my strength. I want my energy to stay with these women during the week. And yeah, it's powerful. So, I mean, gosh, I might even, I, I am tearing up just thinking mm. about it that, mm. you know, that that community, it's, it's just, it's such a gift, such a blessing. Mm-hmm. Would you, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. So if you're not comfortable with yeah. this, please tell me, but so you said you didn't like your first meeting, right? Like, and I always say sure. like, no one does. <laughs> Yeah, no yeah. one, no one likes their first meeting of any kind of recovery. I would imagine, you know what I mean? Like nobody really wants yeah. to go do that, but you get past that. Like, is there any, um, like, is there anything that you would maybe say like to stay or any kind of thing that you remember in the beginning? Was it just that, 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 that one woman was kind to you and you were like, maybe somebody else will, be, or maybe she'll be there. Or like, how did you find the strength to keep going and taking a seat? It was really that one woman because mm. I, you know, obviously every meeting is different and the topic is different, but I remember one woman who, who took up a lot of time, which in retrospect, I thought was more than three minutes was talking about her son and her son's problem with drinking and her son's girlfriend. And I just was, I remember thinking like, well, I don't have a son. I don't have a son's girlfriend. Like I have no idea what this woman is talking about. Like I, I just couldn't hear any of it. And like, then the whole meeting became about that situation and how hard it is to be a mom. And I'm like, ugh, I can't what. And, Mm. um, you know, now I know everybody says like identify in, and I think, I don't know how much I heard that first meeting. Um, and I, and to be honest, I was really, I was going to one just to, to satisfy my, um, my therapist because he said, go to one and I am a people pleaser. Mm. And so I went to one and, and, and I'm like, well, there, I'm done. Like that, that was the requirement. And maybe he would have said, okay, now go to two. And maybe it would have, maybe I would have gone that way. Um, 
but yeah, I, so what, what would help people stay? Yeah. Well, or just be open to it, I guess, because I guess I hear from a lot of women that say, you know, um, that they just can't do it or it's not my thing. And it's like, you know, contempt prior to investigation is what it is. And I just am curious, you know, I just always am trying to find the way I'm like, I just look at it like research. I really did kind of go like, I'm, I'm, I love memoir like you do. So I'm like, I get to hear all these fascinating stories. And it was almost like they blew my mind every time I went in there. (laughs) And I didn't identify with everyone, but I was fascinated at what they would say out loud in a room full of virtual strangers, right? Like, I was like, I was just fascinated when I went. I was like, I'm coming back and I want to listen to what they have to say. (laughs) Yeah, I I did not have that experience, um, but the first time. But I think also... um, you know, imagine if like the first time you go to a restaurant that like the server took took 10 minutes to get to your table and brought you the wrong drink and, and the wrong food. Would you be like, well, I hate all restaurants and I'm never eating food out ever again. See, they're horrible. Or would you be like, oh, the management here is kind of weird. Let's let's try this other one. You know, I went to one meeting and I was like, "Ooh, all meetings are like I was ready to just kind of be done. And to be honest, that meeting, the first one that I went to, I don't go to that one. Um I, I don't think I've been there. I went a couple times that first year. I don't think I've ever been back to that one. But then that woman suggest, who hugged me suggested another one, a different one that met on Sunday. And I went to that one for a year or two years. And then, you know, I started finding out about other ones. And then I found I found the one that I go to every Saturday that I'm in town. And that one, you know, it's my favorite restaurant. Like, I can't imagine not going there, you know? And, and I... I love your restaurant analogy. That's the best one I think I've ever heard. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I just yeah. came up with that. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. <laughs> well, that, things like that. That's why I'm, I'm hoping. I mean, um, I'm glad you came up with that because um, <laughs> I think it's hard. It's hard to communicate sometimes. It can get you know so much dogma and stigma attached to meetings. Um I've never been back to the one, my first one either, Brooke, just so you know. Like, I was like, hell right. no, not going back to that. They made me, they made me cry. Hmm. No, they didn't. Um, but it's my own weird thing. But yeah, I just started researching, like I said. I'm like, I'm going to find a different one, you know? Um, anyhow, thank you for being so open about that. I appreciate that. Sure, I know people who you're are welcome. Listening, who are sober. We have a lot of people who listen who are sober curious. We have a lot of people who don't identify with any words associated with um, having a drinking problem or figuring it out. So it's always nice to kind of hear how people, you know, got there and how, you know, it's it wasn't all roses and, you know, um, sunshine and gold. At well, the end. and we have <laughs> a lot of people that are curious about programs, about all mm. of the various programs and, and, you know, ways to connect because we certainly can, um, isolate in sobriety as well. Right. And, uh, so just having some options and places to go, um, where you can develop a community is always, um, you know, it's good information to share. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that a lot. Um, I get a lot of emails from, from women that say they have a really hard time meeting other women who don't drink. And, um, you know, with a lot of meetings, if it's an open meeting, anyone who has the desire to stop drinking can go. And so if you don't want to drink, it doesn't matter whatever the reason or whatever your story, whatever, like none of that matters. And, you know, with my group, like they, you know, anyone, and it's open. Anyone who wants to come listen, well, I mean, preferably women, but we've had men in there too sometimes, but it's pretty open. It's like, this is a room of love. If you just want to sit in a room and get 
get that feeling of love. I think is often like the same feeling from being in a yoga studio, just getting that high of being around people that feel pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's available to, to anyone who wants it. Yeah. Yeah. And do you work with other women, Brooke? I do. I um, mean, extend the but, hand or like share the message, like what you've said here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, mm-hmm. so impo- it's so important. I think it really helps for selfish reasons. It's helps me stay sober, you know, helps me yeah. stay the course. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, people ask me to join them at a, with, at a, at a meeting and I'm like, yep, I, I can't say no. Like I no. probably need that today. So <laughs> yeah. You know. I recently had yeah. a really hard um, time with some things and I shared it in my meeting. And as soon as the meeting was over, you know, someone walks over and says, can you speak at a meeting tonight? And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know what you're doing. Yes, I will. <laughs> so I can get over myself, basically. They were like, she's in self-pity. Let's chat with her. <laughs> Let's move her out of this. So I was like, you know, of course, I don't say no. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do two meetings today. That's fine. I probably really need it. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, so, well, let's move on because we wa- I want to talk about um, how you segued what you were doing before, right? Mm-hmm. Travel writer, the things that you were doing, scuba, and how you transitioned that um, or how that how you brought your sobriety to all of that, I guess. To travel writing? Yeah. Like how did, right. how did you start melding those two together? Oh, sure. Oh yeah. Huh. I, um, I think I did a lot of the things they said, don't ever do. Um, right. <laughs> you know, like I went on a cruise my, my third week in sobriety and, um, whoa. Yeah. And I mean, I guess full disclosure, it was a nude cruise. Ooh. Um, wow. Talk yeah. about being vulnerable all the way around. <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess I, I'm really curious. That's something that people who know me know this about me that I, I say yes to things. And so with the cruise, it was, you know, it was for an assignment and I was like, well, I want to do this. This will be an interesting opportunity. And I, I'd wanted the story. And so it, that was a, maybe a little bit of white knuckling. And I, and how did I get with that? I just knew I knew what I wanted. I knew that I wanted to not drink. And I, I went into that with so many strategies, so many plans, you know, like I'm always going to have a Perrier, a bubbly water in my hand, you know, so that if anybody ever asked me, do you want to drink? I'm like, I'm good. I'm, I've got one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I think, you know, I commit to things sometimes without really knowing what I'm getting into, which is a blessing and a curse. And, and when that cruise ship was pulling away from the dock, I just started laughing. <laughs> and I, re- and I realized I was like, Oh, I don't find this funny. This is nervous laughter, which I realized I hadn't heard since maybe middle school or high school, because ever since then I would drink. Anytime I was nervous, right. I would drink. And this is, that was the first time that I was like, Ooh, I'm really nervous. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So, you, so, so did you have, yeah, did you ahead. have to like develop a plan or did you kind of just wing it and pick up tips along the way? How did you, how did you reconcile the two things getting, you know, being sober and traveling for the first time? I talked a lot about it, um, with meeting at meetings and people give me tips. They gave me a script of like tons of things to say. And, um, and also I think my people pleasing is also a big part of what kept me sober. And I was also counting days and I'm really competitive and I knew, okay, like 
when I finish this cruise, it'll be night, day 19 or whatever it was. And I didn't want to go back to zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I had that competitive thing going and also the people pleasing, knowing that, you know, that woman, Sue, who gave me the hug, I knew that she was going to be a meeting at a meeting when I got back. And I knew I didn't, I wanted to tell her, yeah, I did it. Um, it, like I knew people, people were counting on me because they believed in me and they wanted something for me. And that really, like in a way they were with me on that cruise because I was thinking about them a lot. Um, and, and I guess, yeah, it mainly helped just to know, to start knowing the strategies of, you know, already having the drink or, you know, my favorite that I still use, people offer me a drink. And I, I always still say like, oh yeah, I'm just going to start with water. Cause that way they don't, I hate getting into those conversations. Sometimes they're fine, but you know, I don't want to be that like circus spectacle, like, oh, you don't drink. That's so weird. Why? Um, which rarely happens anyway. But when I say, oh, I'm just going to start with a club soda, then that implies, implies something that at the time I was okay with, like, I didn't want to have to answer the questions. Um, you know, even though anyone who knows me now, well, I start with club soda and I end with club soda. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Full circle there. That's a, that's a great tip though, for people who are just getting used to it. Cause I remember, you know, you have a million questions in your head of yourself or what am I going to say? What am I going to do? What, what happens if they offer me? I mean, no one is thinking about this stuff as much as we are, right? Like nobody cares. (laughs) Well, (laughs) or as much, they don't care as much as you think they do. Yeah. Yeah. But when the people do care, it's kind of interesting, you know, and I think Dr. Wolverton taught me or someone taught me along the way to flip it and sort of ask them like, huh, it seems like it's important to you that I drink. Is is that true? Why, why is that important to you? Um, Because there were people, I had a friend in early, when I was first trying to get sober that she would order me drinks when Mm -hmm. I went to the bathroom or a drink. And so I had to stop hanging out with her because I couldn't. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I just could, it, that was too sticky for me. Yeah, she needed right. the camaraderie. You, I, yeah, I always question the ones who, um, at least in my head, for sure, question the ones who corner me at the parties, you know, and, and want to know, you know, why I'm not drinking and, and all of that. It's always very interesting to me because, you know, it always seems like the ones who do, you know, maybe have a vested interest in <laughs> Yeah. why why you're not drinking and 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 yeah because I think often where we become a a mirror to reflect other people's behaviors whether we want to be or not oh sure and now now I'd be happy to answer any of those because I don't I wasn't on like the shaky deer baby deer legs that I was in the first sure the first year I was just like Oh, like, don't ask me anything. Don't offer me a drink. I'm barely doing this, you know? Right. And now it's sort of like, yeah, we can talk about it. Like, what do you, what do you want to know? Hit me, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. that first year. Yeah, because yeah. you do, you feel like you're, you feel like you're glowing, like you're iridescent or something <laughs> because you're not drinking and you feel like everyone is watching you yeah. when that's not always the case. Yeah. Yes, yes and no, because I do think with, with group dinners on a cruise, you know, something about that, that like, you know, those place settings are so clearly defined and yeah. And when like your wine glass, if you turn it over, which I I usually do or push it away or whatever, because I don't, now I wouldn't care if they poured a little bit, I'd be like, yeah, you got to take that or pass it to someone else. But in the beginning, I just didn't want to risk any of that. And, um, I think I said, you know, I knew, I knew that people would see at the table that I wasn't having wine 
And I think I said during that cruise, I think I said I was on antibiotics, which is so funny because when I was drinking, when I was on antibiotics, I just kept drinking anyway. <laughs> right. But <laughs> that was just a suggestion not to drink, right? <laughs> when you're on antibiotics. Well, I don't know. I mean, I lived through the the thing that I took them for. So yeah, I hope it didn't cause There was any never a time. Yeah. There's never been a time that I took antibiotics <laughs> without drinking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They go down easier. With right. Yeah. <laughs> so on the cruise, did you hit meetings on the cruise? Was that a thing back then at that early stage or no? Was that not, did you not know that was a thing on the cruise ship? I don't think I knew that on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've, I've been on cruises after and then I, I knew, and I know Aaron talked about that um, yeah. with you guys as well. And um, yeah, that was, it was hard. The first one that the first meeting that I went to on the cruise, of course my, you know, it wasn't like any, meeting I'd been to on dry land. And there was one person who was sort of holding court. And uh, for personal reasons, I sort of struggled to be around narcissistic personalities. Hmm. And this, per- this person sort of struck me as a little, it just felt like very egoy, And, and I didn't, you know, I didn't like it. And I, I kind of left, left that room, you know, and, and as soon as I could, I, I emailed someone and and she told me the thing that, you know, she, that I don't always love hearing, but it is true that, you know, be whatever's missing in a meeting, you have to bring that thing. Yeah. And, you know, and so that, that helped me shift my, my viewpoint on those. Um, that I think they tend to be a lot smaller, which can be, it can be a good thing. Like that can lead to more intimate conversations. Um, and it's nice just knowing, okay, at least these people are sober on the cruise. Right. Like, you know, you're not alone. So you can see them out on the, you know, kind of wink, like, Hey, yeah, like you're my people. Totally. Mm. That's interesting. My, 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 um, my sponsor tells me that. And, and so I say a prayer before I sit <laughs> down every, at every meeting. And I, cause when I get annoyed or I, nobody's sharing, like I want them to <laughs> yeah. share, nobody's, I can't control the universe. I don't understand what the problem is. But when I get to that place and I talk to her about it and that's what she says, she's like, did you say the prayer? And I'm like, I, I usually do, but no, I didn't say it that day. Yeah. And it's helped me um, hear what I need to hear. Help me share what I need to share. And when I don't like what I'm hearing, or I feel like everybody's kind of going off topic or staying stuck in a problem that's mainly when I get agitated it's when like when we stay stuck in a problem um I just share what I what I want to share and try to change the tenor but again I don't control the universe is my lesson um so that's interesting yeah yeah we I get that advice too Brooke <laughs> yeah and it, it goes against my personality because I tend to be more like oh if everybody if everything is happening that I don't like I, I tend to be more of an avoider, like, okay, I'm going to go over here then when I, where I like everything. Right. Um, but yeah, I realize that's not really being of service. That's not being helpful if I just completely disengage. Um, so I've gotten better, better about that over the years about speaking up and, and trying to bring the change. Well, and I try to remember, too, that every single personality you see outside of recovery exists inside of recovery, (laughs) right? So there are narcissistic people walking around the world. They're going to be inside your your recovery bubble or your meetings or whatever. It's going to it's going to reflect, you know, outside society. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just a reminder of like, hey, this is something here's a wound I still have. It's a, a chance to you know, just a reminder that I, I have work to do on it and that's okay. Yeah. That's that mantra that I, that Holly from hip sobriety school that I, I, that mm-hmm. helps me so much. Just everyone is my teacher. And I know she didn't maybe come up with that. Maybe yeah. I've heard that in other ways, but just, 
um, everyone is my teacher. And I, when I say that over and over again, it helps kind of put me right, you know, again, puts me back and things back in perspective. Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced over a year's worth of content and have over a quarter million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing, you can be a patron of this show for as much as you'd like, even if it's just a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. So did you have to pack really light for that trip, the nudist uh, cruise? <laughs> Was there, yeah, what did right? you bring? What did you, uh... um, a, lo- a lot of sarongs, but okay. oddly yeah. enough, um, they love costume parties. So they're, ah. they, we had, we brought a lot of, I brought wigs and costumes and, and um, also a lot of sun hats. And, Brooke, yeah. it is so funny that you just said that because you just spiked a memory in me. So I have been to a nude, uh, <laughs> I've been to a nude um, uh, 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 resort and it was in Jamaica, I think. Uh-huh. Um, but I was, I was working on a job. I was um, a photo assistant for a photographer, but there were, there was a lot of costumes. <laughs> that is so yeah. funny. And this was a bazillion years ago too. This, well, this was in the nineties, but yeah, there were a lot of costumes. That is so funny. <laughs> it, you know, it's interesting. I, I think it's like, they want, you know, everybody wants to be naked, but also like make sure I, just, I guess maybe it's just a celebration of like, we really love our bodies and it's, it's fun. And I, I just admire that the community is just so open and, you know, yeah, like that. I, I, I'm curious. I have to ask a question. Yeah. Is it full nude? Is it like, it's whatever you want. It's, it's not, want. It, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't mandatory to okay. do anything, but, but because I was writing about it, I felt like I should participate fully. And, um, I thought it was a good experience really yeah. to, to work on body appreciation. And, you know, I think I learned a lot, a lot from those cruises. Um, and, and the company is bare necessities. If anyone is interested, oh. <laughs> how cute is that? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think once, um, and being sober doing it too, is a really big deal, Brooke, for, you know, from, if I were to sign up for something like that, um, I would have drank my face off right? To get up the nerve, but to be sober and do that too. That's like a whole nother experience. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. Cause everyone was talking about that. Um, if people come on and they're new to the cruises, they kept saying, Oh, it takes like, I think they said three or six glasses of wine. Then you're okay with it. And I'm like, okay, well that's a good number to know. Or obviously I didn't remember it, but I'm like, well, I have, I have zero <laughs> glasses of wine. So right. yeah. <laughs> Right. It might take me a little bit, a couple more days than you guys <laughs> to get comfortable. Yeah. It, and it did. It did. Cause I would still like, I, I, my, I'm self-conscious about my butt. And I noticed at the beginning of the cruise, I'd always turn so that no one could see the cellulite on my butt. And then after three days, I was like, screw it. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm much younger than the average age of the people on the cruises. And I was like, this is, this is the best I'm going to look probably. You right. Know? So. Right. And you're right about that. It is <laughs> yeah. a place um, for bo- body positivity, because yes, yes, there are all sizes and shapes and ages and, and uh, everything at this particular um, place that I was at. So I would assume that it's like that most. Oh, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most nude p- 
public places. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have one more question that I have to ask. Uh Uh-huh. Was the meeting nude on the ship then that you went to? Like, were you nude when you went to a meeting? I, I, I think it was optional. I was not. Okay. I'm just thinking how vulnerable it is to be in a meeting, and then you pile, you know, on top of that. Yeah. So, okay, okay. I'm just, I had to wrap my head around it. And I can't, it. I can't remember that detail. I think everyone else was wearing clothes. That was so long ago that I can't, okay. I can't remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, just thinking of vulnerability is all I'm thinking of. And yeah. Like, it's already hard yeah. enough to go to a room and go to a meeting, but then on top of that, I'm just thinking if you're new, if you were like 19 days, like that's just incredible. But so I'm imagining this experience just keeps teaching you and reinforcing you and you're building from there. I mean, you started from right there, you know, that experience in early, early sobriety. Um, So how did you, how did you, um, how did you segue this into what you do now? Because now you have this um, company, right? How did that come Mm -hmm. to be? I I wanted to just kind of segue from, from there. Can you take us to where you uh, created Sober Outside and kind of tell us why you did that and how you got there. Sure. I, I guess where the, the desire to, to have something like this happened or was sort of born, I guess it was two years ago. I was in, I was in Indonesia on assignment on a, on a dive boat, uh, which I think is like 12 or 16 people on a boat for 10 days. And I was the only person not drinking. And other than the staff, uh, some of the staff, I should say. And so after we did that last dive of the day, everyone, everyone was drinking. And it was kind of hard because, you know, scuba divers drink, tend to drink fairly heavily. And especially when you're on a boat or at a dive resort or somewhere where there's not a lot of other options to do other activities, people just drink. And so, and I, I, once I got sober, I realized I really do not like watching people get drunk. This is really boring. Um, so it kind of, that the seed was planted then. And, um, and this past February, um, my boyfriend and I, and, and some people, we, we rafted, um, through the grand Canyon for, uh, three weeks, a month, something like that, which was amazing. It was so amazing. Oh my gosh. That long. That is so cool. Oh yeah. We took almost the maximum number of days that that you're allowed to have on a, on a, um, non-professional permit. And like just being in the, between the Canyon walls and just all of the energy there, it was amazing. And it was great to share it with the people on that trip, but there was a piece of me that was like, I wish I could share this with sober people. I wish I could be like meditating with someone and be like, Oh my God, did you just, what did you, what did God tell you? Because here's what, here's what I heard. And I just felt so alive. And I was like, Oh, like and there's no cell phone service whatsoever on that entire trip. So I just, I kind of felt isolated in, in that I had this piece, piece of the experience that I couldn't share. And, um, so after that, I really, that was in February of this year. And then I, um, I launched, the company's website, maybe in June, May, June. Um, so it's, the company is called Sober Outside, uh, and it's guided travel adventures for, it's co-ed, but I think really we get a lot more women. I haven't had a guy sign up yet. Um, but it's, it's, it's to create the adventures that I wished were out there when I was first getting sober, because I was, I was Googling sober vacation, sober travel. And, you know, there's stuff on cruises and, and all inclusives, which aren't really my speed. I, I like stuff that's a little more active, a little more 
you know, with activities and outside. And so I, I thought, well, I really want to do this, so I'll just start it and we'll see what happens. And so that's where we are. And how many have you, have you had so far since you created it? The first trip, um, it's now closed, but it's going to happen a week from tomorrow. We're going to Savannah to celebrate Halloween. That's the first one. And then coming up in February, and we still have spots open on this one, February 16th through 23rd, we are going to Bonaire, uh, which is an island um, in the Caribbean, almost at the, the south the south part of that arc, uh, right by Aruba. Um, there's we're going to take there's ten slots ten spots available for people to get scuba certified, or if you are already certified, uh, to just come and go diving and enjoy the company of sober people. Wow. And people can just yeah. go snorkeling too. I was reading on your website, sure. right? If, if you yeah. don't want to dive. Okay. Yeah. Because I realize not everybody wants to go diving and I, and I want this to be inclusive for people who just want to hang out with sober people and, and go on vacation. And like, we all stay present through the evenings, you know, whereas we're as conscious and present at you know, 10 o'clock at night as we were at 6am, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's like, um, yeah, you're on the same page with everybody. It's not yeah. like people are checking out or you're... It's, it's interesting. Sometimes I get confused in, in social situations. And it doesn't... I mean, and you think I'd be really aware of this, but I don't piece it together until later going, oh, right, everybody's drinking. That's... <laughs> she went from here to there. That used to be me. But it takes me a minute um, to remember, like, oh, that's why it's confusing. Something's not right. It's, 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 everything seems fine on the surface, but when somebody's a little bit more elevated or had more to drink, um, yeah, it's not the same. You can't connect on the same level, or I can't, at least. Uh, I, I struggle. I struggle with that, too, the connection. And um, I was just on a boat a scuba boat again in, in early September. And, but I already knew I've been on enough of these and I knew, you know, after dinner, I'm probably just going to go to bed. And some people called me out on it that like, you're really antisocial. And I'm like, I'm really not. I just don't, I don't, I don't enjoy, I didn't tell him, you know, I don't enjoy watching people get drunk, but I, I just kind of danced around a little bit. And, and one night on, on that trip, I, I suggested that we play a game. Uh, we all played cards against humanity and it was fun because I'm like that. I'm like, well, we have an activity. I don't need everyone to be super lucid to play that. And it was a way for me to still connect with people as much as I could. But I, but I wasn't really like no one was repeating stories or anything like that because right. we had this game as our commonality. Right. Well, um, I'm curious on on uh, the trip that you're planning. Are you scheduling morning activities because you, you know. You could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're gonna, we have, we'll have morning meditation most mornings and then the dive boat, I think it starts at the dive boat leaves the dock at 9am, something like that, 839. I have to look at the schedule. Oh, wow. Um, so I imagine most of us are going to want to go to bed early and, right. and get up early. And, and I like that too. I'm a morning person. I'm just so, so much more awake and, and, you know, uh, at that hour. So it'll be, it'll be nice to, you know, be able to share that and connect with people who are, who aren't waking up on over. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, having sober, clear mornings just, you know, never, ever gets old, but then when you're on vacation, it's even more exemplified, you know, just how uh, freaking awesome it is, especially if you're on the beach and you get to get up and watch the sunrise and, all that Absolutely. fun morning stuff. Yeah. 
And fun fact, so the birds, the birds are always the most vocal if there's like a little hour in the morning where they, where they're the most vocal, I believe because the wind is the most still. And so their song carries farther. Um, so I just, I don't know. It's, it's one more thing to think about in in the morning hours. Mm, That sounds beautiful. So you created this and kind of solidified it May, June of this year, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so we got to meet you at She Recovers in LA. I know it was brief because yes. it was kind of just yeah. like, wow, every, everybody, you know, everything was scheduled. So we had to kind of keep moving, keep going to the next thing. But I was so glad to lock eyeballs with you and to meet you. Um, and I know Erin Shaw Street is a friend of yours. And I know that you mm-hmm. guys have connected. She yes. wanted us to really meet you and have you on the show. And we were like, for sure. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, but I love, I love what you've taken, like what you do. See, this is, this is, um, we're kind of awake to these opportunities, right? When we kind of remove alcohol, like here's been your life's work and now how you're kind of channeling it for this thing that you really want, you know, like you want to hang out with more sober people and travel. You've created the thing that you wanted, right? I think that's fantastic and really inspiring for others to think like, what is your thing? What are you into and what can you kind of create from that? Absolutely. Yeah. And when, when I was drinking, I was, I think I was just sort of, um, I was a lot more passive in my career, just kind of saying yes to whatever came my way. And I wasn't, I didn't have the bandwidth or the energy to be proactive and really ask like, what do I want to do? What's important to me? I wasn't asking any of those questions. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. Never, never, (laughs) Never. But yeah, I agree. I love it because I, I, you know, I often hear, you know, and I do it myself when I start thinking, you know, they're really, somebody really needs to make a fill in the blank. And then it's like, oh, I could do that. (laughs) It's like an invitation. Right. Sandra, you have some dreams like that. I do. Yeah, yeah, I totally do. And it, and and exactly and it's exactly that. It's bringing the things together that I'm passionate about with sobriety and making it a safe place for people that don't drink. Yeah. Absolutely. Um real quick I wanted to tell you Brooke, you just made me have a quick memory. Um last Friday night, I got to or the Friday before, I got to go play Cards Against Humanity, which Um, you know, totally not politically correct, very over the top, only ever played it while I was drinking. Um, But I got to go play it with a with a group of sober women on a Friday night. And what was interesting was like most things I go to are meetings, uh, yoga classes, uh, workshops, (laughs) uh, drinking a lot of tea with ladies, but to go and have pizza and cards against humanity felt like a real Friday night to me, quote unquote, real, like just like how it used to be, maybe, you know, you'd go out with your girlfriends. We had so much fun and we're laughing so hard and it just, it was like, it felt like the first time um, I really kind of let loose with some women that I didn't know, you know, locally. I I have this connection with Sandra, like when I go to Austin or when we've traveled to She Recovers, you know, that was, but it was like just locally that I could get together and that could become a thing was, uh, was very fun. And that game as horrible as it can be, was this like this way to connect? It was, and not having people drunk playing it too was really lovely. It was, it was even, it was more fun, I think. And 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 you you tapped into something that I think we tend to forget about in recovery. Like, I think a lot of us think, oh, it has to be serious all the time, and we just have right. to like ha- have these heart to hearts. And 
Yeah, that's a big piece of what keeps us sober, but like we're we're also in it for the joy. Um, and I think that that, you know, I recognized that a few years back that that was one of my my gifts that I wanted to bring to even my local community um, was just hosting. I host a lot of game nights because mm. I, I like to do things like I like people to get together. Um, and it's an easy way, like nobody, you know, you don't necessarily have to have athletic ability or anything like that, but I think we want to just get together and have fun. And, um, even this past Sunday, a friend organized a brunch where we went and listened to soul music and, um, we all drove together up to it. And I, and I remember, and I was thinking like, this is something I haven't done in a while. Like, you know, when I used to go out drinking, we'd all pile in the car together and go, which was probably not safe in so many ways. But, but with, with this, I was like, this is really fun. Like I, and I was just glad that a friend did that and, and organized that for us, put that into motion. Because brunch can be such a dangerous memory, oh, right? Yeah, I was going to say, brunch was always a shit show for me. Right. I mean, brunch just was yep. a, an excuse to drink all day. Yeah. Yeah. Because it I never mean, stopped at brunch. I mean, no, ever. You, I would lose the whole day. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, to, like, flip the story and turn brunch into something else is just, ugh, I love that. Yeah, brunch was yeah. like a big black day on the calendar. Like all, all Bloody Mary Sunday, so it would be like Bloody Sunday was, it was all, it was the day was gone. Yeah, it would be a full day brunch. And I look back and I wonder, how did I have the time to just lose <laughs> an entire weekend to drinking? Yeah, because you know, when we left brunch, you know, we all had our stuff to do. One of like laundry, clean house, do a house project, you know, maybe because I, I drank mainly when I was in my 20s and I didn't own a house and I wasn't. You know, I didn't have a side hustle or any of those things. And, you know, now we're all like, okay, like most, I think a lot of us tend to have introvert tendencies. So we're like, okay, that was our two to three hours. We're good. And now we go back to our, you know, the, our regularly scheduled lives. I think you're right. Because uh, I, with a group of gals too, locally, I do this tea and toolboxes thing once a month. And it starts at three and it ends at five. And it always starts yeah. at three and it always ends at five, yeah. like right on time because people have shit to you do. You can count like they, on us. Yeah. They got to go make dinner. You know, you're doing stuff beforehand. That's why we picked that time. So it was like a little window. Um, but once five o'clock hits, everybody's like scatters because, yeah, we have more things to do We and we can get it done. But we talked about it at the last one. Like if this had been us getting together for drinking on a Sunday afternoon from three to five. Dinner wouldn't get made. No one would get home till six or seven. Like it would have just, um, or later, you know, it just would have, it was just or the different. next day. <laughs> right. Anyway, but. <laughs> but now it's like three to five. Okay. See you gals next month. And it's like, you know, check that off the list and let's go on about our day. Our yeah. And, and when I throw events now, there's, um, there are no stragglers. I can't say, what? I mean, it, it doesn't never happen. Sometimes it happens, but it's rare that people straggle and they're like, so what else do you have to eat? You know, versus when I would throw a drinking party, yeah. people would stay until I'd be like, okay, I'm going to bed. You don't, you don't have to leave, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to stay up. And right. yeah, those parties would be like six, seven hours. Well, I don't know how I did it. Yeah. I like your idea of game night. So I'm, I'm three and a half ish years sober. I'm not super comfortable entertaining, thank you, <laughs> entertaining in my home. Um, Go to a coffee shop. And I have a couple friends. Yeah, I mean, I've done that. But I feel like I have, mm. like, this next level thing. I used to be quite the entertainer. So I'm thinking um, maybe a game night at my house. It doesn't have to be with all sober people. But I want to test it out that we're not drinking. Like, it's going to be a non-drinking evening. 
And I have a couple friends that I know I can test it out on. Um, they may do it once. They may not want to do it again. But I'm feeling the urge to, like, to try it. To, like, I know my husband probably misses having people over, you know. And um, I think maybe the game night is the way in, is kind of the... Give right, us something to do. An activity. It's yeah. A, yeah, there's a distraction. And especially if they're games that you have to concentrate on where, you know, you may not miss the boo you know, your friends may not miss the booze as much. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've had events too where I um invite invite my friends who do drink and I just tell them ahead of time, like, yeah, that this no one's gonna be drinking here. If you're okay with that, you're welcome to come. And and sometimes they are, because I mean at the end of the day, we all just want connection and you know, they're, they want to have a fun afternoon or evening too. That's the part where I'm not good at it, Brooke. So I'm, I'm listening to that. I'm going to re-listen to that again when, when this airs, because (laughs) I think I, I make a lot of assumptions because my friends from my old life is what I always call it. It's like, that's who I drank the most with. And I'm always worried that maybe I, I'm worrying too much. I'm projecting way too much. I'm assuming way too much. I should just do the invitation Right. Because they can make up their mind. They can. Yeah. Or or just text. Yeah. You say it ahead of time and maybe maybe they don't want to do anything where there's no alcohol. Um, But but I think that's also us not giving them credit to to make a decision um, Mm -hmm. and have it like give them a chance to show up for us. And I don't I don't know that 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 would have been something I would have done at three and a half years in is invite my my drinking friends to hang out with my non drinking friends. Um, But for the holidays coming up, like I, I just think that's a time where people, I think people really need connection and support. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think the holidays are hard for everybody. Um, for the people that are for the holiday, for the people for whom the holidays are easy, I I'm always envious and I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, but I think all of us need a little, a little boost or a little extra love and support. And I think, I think the non-drinking community offers a lot of that. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to play around with that. I I feel um I feel like it's time. I feel I feel a, I feel a calling to do it. So I I have to listen to that. So maybe I'll just explain. Yeah. But I think being really transparent, I think with these friends of mine, I could tell these ladies like, "Hey, I'm trying this on for size. Can you guys help me out?" Cuz we're going to try a non-drinking night and do games and stuff. And they'll and I know they'll tell me, you know. But it's just me saying it. I think that's the part. I make up a lot of stories in my head sometimes before uh you know, like you said, I don't think I'm giving them credit. So, and I think if you're clear about it ahead of time, then you're setting the lead and they know, okay, like that's what it's going to look like. And if you don't leave that door open for them to like BYOB, then they're, then they won't. Yeah. Yeah. One time I, um, I had a book club, which is, you know, my former drunk club for me. (laughs) And, um, I did say it in the email to the group, like no wine. Um, I have all these non-alcoholic blah, blah, blah. And, you know, one of the ladies obviously didn't read the email and she shows up with a bottle of wine. And so I poured it for her, but everybody else kind of knew. And then she quickly caught on and she's like, I'm going to switch to tea with you ladies. I'll just take that home. And I was like, okay, you're gracious and lovely and but you know I'm sure she was like oh I did not read the email <laughs> right I did not, <laughs> did get, not the memo. get that memo <laughs> um, which maybe you know that's how I feel about it. maybe she was a little bit uncomfortable but I don't know I just feel like um, I've, I've separated the worlds a little bit Brooke you know 
And so I'm, I'm just, I'm very interested in how you've done this too. You know, I've separated those uh, friends, my drinking, former drinking friends and my recovery friends. And I got to be honest, I, I sometimes, I just want to be with my sober people. And, um, I love, I love some of my friends from my old life, but I have a hard time. Um, I still have a hard time at this point of my recovery. So, um, the fact that you've created this thing where you can go and do the thing that you love and that you're like, we're not going to have alcohol. So do they have to identify as in recovery to go do these things, Brooke, or do they? No, mm-mm. no, just, do no. they just know it's not a drinking adventure. It's not, it's not a drinking adventure. And I make, make sure that everybody knows ahead of time that if they drink on the trip, they're no longer on the trip. Um, and if they have their own room, like in Monair, if you have your own room and you drink, like, okay, you can stay in that room and, but you're not, you're not going to be do acti- doing activities with the rest of us. Um, right. cause I just don't, I'm like, I like, that's the rest of the world. And that's everywhere all the time. Everyone, like you get to, people can drink and do all that everywhere. Like I want a safe space where people aren't drinking and I want to be, I want to be in the majority. I want to be part like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is the non-drinkers. Here's what we do. We don't drink. Um, so I, I really want to honor that. Yeah. And I wonder if you'll get, you'll get clients that just, um, you know, maybe they don't identify as in recovery, but they just don't drink. And so, you know, they like to have to be with other people where they're not expected to drink on a vacation. It's, it's a lot of that. I was sort of surprised that right now, I think it's higher numbers of women who identify that way than women who, um, identify as being in program. That's great. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so good. This big shift that's happening and people being more out loud about everything too and try and be feeling um safe to recover out loud or to, or to investigate it or you know what I mean? Like you don't even have to identify like we said as anything. Just be curious like you said earlier like you're a curious person. I could be curious about not drinking. Um and and what a great um opportunity for someone to say I want to go Again, I think this is fantastic. If I was sober curious or doing my step zero, I would have looked into something like this. Like, oh, I can go try this on for size. Feel safe. Um, The only thing that I don't, if someone is, um, you know, in and out of program and and kind of at that, mm -hmm. like, zero days, that that I'm not super keen about because I don't. I don't really want to set people up to relapse or, right. you know, because some people who've never had a drinking problem or any of that, like they right. don't, You're that's not, not a thing for them. You're not offering a program for someone. You just, no. Yeah. yeah. You want somebody who's, who's not walking a line necessarily. Yeah. Cause I think anyone who might be white knuckling it, like I'm happy to, you know, talk on the phone or email or, or steer someone toward resources, but I, I don't. I don't think that it's doing a service to someone to be like, Hey, come travel while you're white knuckling it because oh, right. Right. yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. That I, I, I honestly, I'm surprised that I, I got through, I got through the trips that I did in, in the beginning, but you know, everyone's different and I, I don't know that I'd want to gamble on someone else's sobriety. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, so would for this trip, how many spaces are there? You said 10. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we already four are already filled. Okay. And what are the dates again? So our listeners know. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll be going February 16th through the 23rd of 2019. Wow. And do you have any big dreams for next year with your business or other places that you're just contemplating or, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I I have a couple ideas for trips. Um, I don't know about 
big dreams, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I, I want to lead a, a, I'm looking at a backpacking trip and a surfing trip. Those are the two that I want to uh, try to bring for, for summer 2019. Um, yeah, those are the, those are the goals. Where would the backpacking trip be? Just curious. Yeah, I think domestic. Asking for a friend. <laughs> for a friend. Um, it, it, it might, maybe California, maybe Colorado, <gasps> you know, that's what I'm researching. Cause I, I, you know, some of these trips, I know airfare is the thing for people. Um, so I'm kind of exploring, okay, well, what would that look like if we go backpacking in the country? Mm-hmm. So as soon as I have details and have that figured out, it'll, it'll be up on the website, soberoutside.com. That's great. And have you found a nice, um, online community with Instagram? Has that been a nice way to. Absolutely. That's, um, I think that's primarily how people find out about the company. Um, you know, I do have a full-time job as a travel writer, so I, I don't know that I've done as much promotion, in other areas as I, as I would like to, but, um, the Instagram seems to be going really well and a lot of people seem to keep finding the company. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah. It's a great place for recovery. Yeah. Instagram. I, and I had no idea. I had no idea that any of that existed. Uh, when I first got sober, like I wasn't, I think I like I deleted pictures on Facebook. I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't on anything. And it was only when I started the company that, I, um, you know, I think I launched the account maybe in March or April or something. And I was like, Oh my gosh, look at all this. Like, I just, I had no idea. And I'm, I'm, I love that, that there's so much, um, there's so much sobriety uh, mm-hmm. online. Yeah. Yeah. Your feed is so vibrant and beautiful and just, it's like, it's the whole, I want what you have. Like you make sobriety as Sandra says all the time, make, you make it look really good. <laughs> Yay, it's like, good. Yeah, it does. It looks like, um, a full life, which sometimes I think, um, sobriety can sound like wah, wah, you know, in the beginning. <laughs> and that's not been the case for me. Although I did feel that way in the beginning. Um, that has morphed and changed and it's because I've seen other women kind of model or not model just, you know, what is the saying? Um, attraction, not promotion, right? It's attractive to me what they're doing. It's attractive to see that people are creating like you've just created a business and you are creating the thing that, that you were lacking, right? You went on the grand Canyon trip and it was beautiful and you'd wished for some connection. It sounds like with another person that might get it in the same way. Or view it in the same yeah. way. And so instead of, you took action. And I think sobriety yeah. is all about action. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I think back to my first year. I remember my first Friday night in Friday, and I was like, oh my God, what do people do? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I had no idea. And, uh, you know, um, this this girl took took pity on me and took me out for coffee and and kind of started to show me how, how people do things. And um now I look at, I look at a lot of the people that I admire, um, you know, who are out adventuring and a lot of them, like, if you're out there doing some hardcore adventures in nature, you're not really going to be drinking that much. Maybe a few of them have a drink here or there, but I don't know that you need all that when you're outside. Yeah. Well, I would find it, but yeah, <laughs> well, sure. right. yeah, I mean, we, yeah, 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 I, yeah. I used to right. drink on kayaking trips, like absolutely. <laughs> but now I'm glad I'm like, you know, but you see that there's so another way. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, 
Brooke, I just have to say that if I ever join you on one of your sober adventures, I'm bringing my Scrabble game. Okay, so just saying. Ooh, you like Scrabble, so um, I love Scrabble, and my friends have this game called um, Snatch or Snatch It that that you should look look up because it's really fun. Okay, so, yeah. So it's one of those things. If you like Scrabble, then you would like. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jot that down. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, um, can I, I know we didn't ask this at the top of the um, podcast, so I'm sorry that I'm circling back, but, and I'm asking your age a lot or what the age of things are here, but I just, for our listeners, like how, how old are you now, Brooke? I am 38. 38. And you've been sober for five years. Mm -hmm. And, um, are there tools like towards the end of the podcast, we usually like talk about tools and things. Um, Sandra, is, do you have any other questions before I go Mm-mm. here? No, I just okay. wanted to bring up the Scrabble thing. <laughs> <laughs> and right. we don't have to go on a trip necessarily to do that. Like if, I, <laughs> if I come to Austin, we can we can play there. There right. you go. Or California. That's right. I have a Scrabble board. I've only won once against my husband in 20 years, and that was a couple Christmases ago. And I... I talk about that a lot, <laughs> um, but I'm curious, like, to, um, we need a lot of tools when we're getting sober. Right. And I think to maintain sobriety too, my kind of, we call it our toolbox. Like it's kind of constantly shifting and changing. And, um, on the podcast here for anybody that's new listening, we share at the end of the show, three tools that are in either our sobriety toolbox or our creative toolbox. And so I was just curious, Brooke, if you had three things you could share um, with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I picked things that were more along the lines of creativity. Um, the The first one is is water, um, and by that I mean any time that you're feeling stuck, whether it's with a project or what to do next. Um, I've he- I've heard that the energy around water is always. Uh, really inspiring. So for me, um, I either go paddle boarding or I write in the tub a lot. Like that's a place where I get a lot of really good ideas. Um, and then I guess the second thing is, is kind of similar to that. And that is, um, you know, some people pray, some people put things out to the universe, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the piece that I think a lot of us often forget, especially if we're hyper scheduled is, um, you know, making that downtime. And for me, that's, that's time in nature. Um, and this is probably, it's a great, it's a great tool for people just getting sober. Um, because getting quiet, uh, helps us hear our higher power. It just helps us hear inspiration and going outside can look like, you know, go on your front lawn and, and take your flip flops off or, well, you guys don't live in Florida, take your shoes off and, and, and just have your feet in the grass and, and allow yourself to get grounded that way or go for a walk. And, you know, for me, when I, when I have questions about, okay, what should I do next? What, what am I meant to do? I go out in nature and that's when I hear, you know, I get these thoughts that I don't really feel like come from me because it's not something that it doesn't feel like they're thoughts that are connected to things that I've previously thought about it. It'll be like, Oh, why don't you email, you know, this random person or, Oh, what about this? And, and it's, yeah, I, I can, I, for me, it feels like divine inspiration. Mm. Um, like you know, that. so I, yeah, it's super helpful. 
Well, when you, you just said, I just did this a couple weeks ago, and it reminded me that I, I don't know the last time I have done it. I went to my friend's house, and we were going to make some art. And I couldn't find her in the house because her doors were open, so I'd gone in, and I couldn't find her, and I was yelling her name. And finally, I hear her laughing out in her backyard with another <laughs> friend, and they have their shoes off, and they're just laying in the grass, and their feet are in the grass, you know, and they, they're like, come lay down with us. And I was like, oh, I thought we were making art. She's like, in a minute, just come lay down. <laughs> so I did. And it was so, it was like a mini meditation or something. It was just quiet. We were just listening to things. And it felt, I felt a little uncomfortable at first, I have to be honest, because it was like, you know, three ladies just laying in the grass together, not really saying anything. And I was like, this feels good. You know, and I haven't done that in a really long time. So that's a great, that's a great one. It feels good. And I think if anybody's struggling um, to find something that they feel grateful for, I challenge them to go outside because I don't know, when I'm outside, I immediately see 10 things I'm grateful for, like just clouds in the sky, this tree. Like I, Mm -hmm. I kind of love everything in nature. Um, Mm -hmm. So it just makes me, yeah, I'm happy that like, yay, look all this, look at all these things that development hasn't smushed over that are still alive and doing their own thing. It makes me happy. Yeah. It's like you're plugging back in right to the source. You're kind of rejuvenated and kind of filled up again. Yeah. I love that. That's a great tool. Yeah. Well, and you said three, so I have one more. Um, In this past year, I've started listening to a podcast called Insatiable, and it is not really entirely about recovery, but it is about, um, she dives into a lot about emotional eating, and that that's really come up for me in the last year or two that I realized, okay, so I don't drink, but am I am I effectively coping with what's going on during the day? Do I have resilience? And I think her, her podcast is, is a great tool for me to examine, to help me examine what's going on underneath the, the desire to eat. Um, cause you know, now that I'm sober, I realize that I don't, it's not about the food. I don't need to eat the food. You know, I have an emotion that I'm being, that's making me uncomfortable. Am I Am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling inadequate? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Um, and I, I just think she's she offers a lot of uh, hope and inspiration about kind of working working one's way through that problem. That's great. I've never heard of that podcast. Do you know her name by any chance? Oh yes, Ali Shapiro. Ali mm-hmm. Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Okay, she's great. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, there's all these other things we uncover once we remove alcohol, right? <laughs> yeah. So then we can just like that's the work. Like I know that we'll always have work to do, and so that's great. That is a great tool. I know. I know that. Um, or I, I don't think I've ever identified with having. Um, disordered eating or anything like that but I know that I emotionally eat so when you just said that Mm -hmm. emotional eating I was like yeah there's the chocolate bar is gone the whole chocolate bar from yesterday is gone um was feeling a certain way and that's how I did it so yeah I um, thank you for that tip I don't I wrote that down yeah I think it's helpful to question anything we do numbly or to change the way we feel I mean we all do we all use different things, social media or shopping or, you know, whatever, but it's certainly, certainly helpful to question those things. 
Yeah. And I think a lot of us tell each other, especially in the first year or two, like, oh, whatever you need to, to stop drinking. And, you know, to an extent that's true. And, and I guess the question is, okay, well, how far, how far do you want to go on this journey? Um, mm-hmm. cause I think the more we're able to put down those other, those other problematic things that we do when we're feeling down, I think it just gives us more clarity and more of a chance to show up as our authentic selves. And, you know, I, at the eating, I just see where I'm like, Oh, I'm upset. Ice cream. Like, I'm like, Oh wait, this is a pattern, <laughs> you know, that I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to have to go out and buy ice cream every time I'm upset, you know? So what's the alternative? Well, it is like you're saying in early sobriety, um, you can yeah. give yourself a pass for what you need to, but once you come out of that fog or one of, once the pink cloud is, um, for me, that pink cloud was right around my one year. It's kind of, I was high as a kite and feeling s- super invincible. Um, but that's when like, okay, now I'm going to dig into some work. Like now I'm going to tackle these things that I see that I'm using in a way that is still, um, to numb out. And, and I'm, you know, and I still have things, so it, the work never ends, but I always, I don't think yeah. that's a bad thing. I think that's kind of an invitation. And, um, yeah. you know, if I want to do it, it's there to do, it's there to work on. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's beautiful about recovery is that, you know, there's so many opportunities to keep learning and growing. And sometimes it's like, oh, well that's, sometimes it's, it's disappointing because it's like, oh, it seems like it's a lot of work. But if you, you know, when we get tired of doing something that, that isn't serving us, then, then usually something will show up that we realize, oh, this is an opportunity or here's something I can try on to see if this, if this is a, a healthier way of handling something. Yeah. And I think listening to my intuition has been really key and I don't think I could ever quite hear it loud enough because (laughs) I, I just shut it down. Right. I drank it away. But now when I see these little paths and turns and even books I'm reading or how many meetings I'm going to or who I'm socializing with or connecting with, like it's all part of the path. It's all me just listening to my intuition now, which um, I'm still really clumsy at it, but um, at least I can hear it. Yeah, even hearing it is is amazing. And, you know, I hope you celebrate that and, and congratulate yourself that, yeah, like, look how far you've come, you know, that's huge to, to even be hearing the voice, you know, and, and seeing the synchronicities and, and tapping into all of that. Yeah. That's what yeah. I see with all the women, right? Sandra, that we've talked to or that we met at She Recovers. Oh like, yeah. Everyone has this beautiful story and that's why we're so excited to talk to people on the podcast. Like whatever your story is, it's like everybody has their own unique one. And, um, and I think listening to yourself, getting sober, that's part of your intuition. You, 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 you finally had to listen to it. Yeah. It was loud. Yeah. It was really loud. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, can you tell people like your website, we're going to do that in the intro too, I know, but maybe at the end here, people are jotting things down, maybe how they can find you, Brooke. Sure. The website is soberoutside.com and on Instagram, it's sober underscore outside. Um, well, thank you. Uh, this was great, Brooke. Yeah. Thanks for taking thank the you, time. ladies. Yes, absolutely. This has been fun. Well, I, so I hope, fun. I hope maybe we can go on an adventure sometime. Sandra. Yeah, I'm, I'm already, I'm already <laughs> mentally planning it. I mean, my ears perked up when you said backpacking. That's like Good. one of my favorite things to do is hike. Yay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And how great to share that with, with other sober people. I just think it's no amazing. What a gift. 
Yeah. Mm. I just got filled up by going on the travel and being surrounded by so many sober women, you know, at, um, down in LA, it was like, um, amplified. So to take it down to a group of 10 seems a little bit more manageable for this kind of introverted, uh, person. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had to like gear up for that, but, um, um yeah. I think, I think a nice intimate trip, wow, that sounds really lovely. And thanks for creating it, Brooke. It's awesome. You're welcome. Yeah, I like what you're doing, Brooke. <laughs> Thank you. So everybody should go check out Brooke, see what she's doing, and check out um, Sober Outside, um, her website.com, and also her Instagram feed, which is quite beautiful and inspiring. All right, have a lovely day, Brooke. Thank you. You guys as well. Okay, bye. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.